So you want to pull those out. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 in the second half this morning. Uh, if you have your program inside, there is an outline. If you're a note-taking kind of person, you can follow along on there. And every once in a while, I like to rem remind you that uh, Brother Larry Bailey, every Sunday, he is so diligent about writing these great companion articles. I tell him what I'm going to be preaching about and the passages, and he just does his own thing, and it's always great. So I appreciate uh, the gift of writing that Brother Bailey has. I commend those to you. Uh, let's pray together as we begin. Father, we are grateful that you are our king. Father, who are we that you would call us into your eternal kingdom of grace? Father, we thank you for the, the power of your word, uh, the power of your spirit, and Father, we invite you to guide and direct us this morning as we enter into your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. I wonder if any of you remember this uh, TV show from, I don't know, 20 years ago or so called Extreme Makeover Home Edition, hosted by a guy by the name of Ty Pennington and a crew of fantastic volunteers and good-looking professional contractors. <laughs> I've never met a contractor that looked like that. Come on now. But, uh, the, you know, the, the kind of the theme of the, the, the show was that they could take a, a terrible house and, and make it look great. Isn't that great? Look at that. And uh, there was normally, you know, a family involved. You would hear about some uh, inspiring, tear-jerking backstory, and, and then the, the whole transformation process began. Well, today I want to kind of use that theme as we think about this idea of, uh, we'll just call it Extreme Makeover Gospel Edition. How's that? We're going to learn about the extreme transformation that Jesus brings when we respond to his gospel message in our lives. I've mentioned already we're working our way through Paul's letter to the, to the Ephesians in this series called The Crash Course in Christianity. And today our crash course is on this idea of unity. Unity, the unity that comes when we experience the radical transformation of Christ's gospel. Last week, we looked at Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10, and we talked briefly about how before Christ we were, we were, what, disobedient and dead and doomed. But in verse 4 of Ephesians 2, we read those two great words, but God, but God, because of his great mercy, his love, his grace, even when we were dead through faith in his plan, and his promises, he made us alive together with Christ Jesus. Well, today, in the second half of chapter 2, Paul's going to tell us that our reconciliation to God was not the only reconciliation that happened at the cross of Christ. Through his life and his death and his resurrection, Christ not only can make us right with God, but he also wants to make us right with each other. Isn't that great? We are adopted sons and daughters of God, but we also become brothers and sisters in Christ with one another. We are a family, and that is an extreme transformation of the gospel. If you come from a family that has brokenness, or if you come with a family that's great, it doesn't really matter because when we come into the family of Christ, God begins a transformation process in our lives, binding us together 
in the peace of the gospel. And here's why this matters for us today. We live in a world full of division. Isn't that right? Have you noticed that? I have. All around us. Big ways, small ways. Our world, our culture, our society is crumbling and decaying and breaking down. And we are continually tempted to be drawn into this us versus them mentality. Right? No matter what topic you pick, it quickly devolves into us versus them. I'm right, you're wrong. I'm good, you're bad. Let me just give you just kind of a silly example, all right? But it's a real example. When I first moved to Eugene some 25 plus years ago, I was encouraged by many folks to become a Duck fan, right? Now, I grew up in another state far away. I attended another university far away. So I had no real connection to the University of Oregon until I arrived here in, in Eugene. But once Sue and I were settled, it was, uh, you know, the pressure was kind of on to start rooting for the Ducks. And it wasn't too hard to get started. You know, it was around that time that Oregon kind of really began to turn things around and it was exciting. But I struggled a little bit because I, I had no history with the Ducks. One day I was talking to a, to a friend who's a diehard Duck fan and I was kind of explaining my predicament. And he said, hey, hey, Rob. If you want to become a Duck fan, don't start by rooting for the Ducks. Start by rooting against the Beavers. <laughs> he said, if you learn to hate our common enemy, then your love for the Ducks will grow. So funny, this morning, Terry Roper asked me, he said, uh, are, you, are you a Duck fan or a Beaver fan? And uh, I said, well, I'm, I'm both. I'm both. All right, I'm going to root for both teams. Well, that's just a silly example from, from sports. But this mentality around division, tribalism, it touches every area of our culture. Sports for sure, but politics, views on all kinds of things. What have we been through in the last couple of years? COVID-19, vaccinations, schooling debates, on and on it goes. Pick a topic and then there's a deep, divide, a division. And friends, if we are not careful, we bring these divisions into God's church, into the family of God. Masks versus no masks. Vaccine versus no vaccine. Democrat, Republican. He said, she said, gossip, slander, music styles, what else? Worship styles, personal preferences, I'm right. You are obviously wrong. How could you be so stupid to not believe what I understand? Then we begin talking negatively about one another and we criticize and we tear down instead of building up. And the radical transformation, the extreme makeover that God desires for our life is slowed or even stopped at times. And so in our text today, in Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22, the Apostle Paul takes us into this restoration process of God's work to explain how this extreme makeover of the gospel works. And so I mentioned we're going to kind of use the show as a kind of a framework for us. And so just like those shows on HGTV, we have to first understand the backstory. The backstory. 
The backstory is knowing what happened before the transformation started. You know, in the show, it was always something like, oh, they had 12 kids, and then the dad lost his job, and the family's pet hamster died, and they're just, now it's horrible. And in swoops this team to fix everything. Well, Paul, he wants to make sure that the Ephesians, and us, by the way, are reminded of what life was like before Jesus came in. Let's look at what Paul says first in verses 11 through 13. He says, remember, church, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, Paul has already spoken about the past of the Ephesians in this chapter. You might remember back in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 2, he spoke about the Ephesians being dead in their sins, but God made them alive. And now, Paul is giving a specific recounting of their past, if you will, as it relates to God's promises to the Jewish people. Well, why does... Why does Paul care about this? And why would the Ephesians care about this? Now, we need to remember that at the time that Paul wrote this letter, Christianity is a a pretty young religion, right? It's less than 50 years old. And at that time, Christianity is still viewed by the world around it as a very Jewish religion. After all, the God whom we serve, is often referred to as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who are the the fathers of the Jewish faith. But further, Paul is pointing out how Jewish people often look down on Gentile people. Now remember, Gentile means anyone that's not a Jew. And so he says that the, the circumcised, or the Jews, called the Gentiles uncircumcised. And they use that tone, I'm sure when they said it, all right? The tone of judgment, even hatred at times. Remember, circumcision was a sign of God's covenant, his promises with the Jewish people. So those who were not Jewish or not marked as God's covenant people, they were looked down upon with scorn, with derision by those who were marked as God's covenant people. So they were basically saying, you Gentiles are not part of the covenant but we Jews are. And so Paul is setting the stage here to further help the mostly Gentile Ephesian church to understand what it was like to not be a part of the covenant, to remind them of what it was like to have no hope. And so in our text, Paul gives these five descriptors Reminders of what it was like for the Ephesians before they met Jesus. In verse 12, he says they were separated. Separated from Christ. They were alienated from the citizenship of Israel. They were strangers to the covenants of promise. They were without hope and without God in the world. That's not a very good place to be, is it? 
Paul doesn't say that their backstory was fine and dandy, right? Oh, everything was great. He doesn't say, I know that the Jewish people rejected you Gentiles, but everything really was okay. You're really good, really good people. No, Paul reminds them. Apart from Christ, they were what? Hopeless. They were a mess. By the way, that's who we were before we met Jesus as well, a mess. However, as with last week, there is a very important little phrase in the text here that starts with the word, but. But, look in verse 13 there, it says, but now. See, that's who you were. But now, in Christ Jesus, everything has changed. Everything changes for the Gentiles who were without God. Everything changes for you and I when we come to understand who Jesus is and what he calls us to in this world. Paul says in verse 13, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul is, Paul is pointing out for us that God did something amazing for the Gentiles, not just for the Jewish people. We just sang that song, only by the blood of the Lamb. That is an amazing truth that penetrates and changes everything about who you are and who I am when we come to understand who Jesus is. In, in fact, this moment that Paul is writing about here was prophesied from the very beginning, way back when God chose Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, before there were even Jewish people. It all started with, with Father Abraham there, right? And God had a plan and a purpose. God said to Abraham in Genesis 12 in verses two and three, this is the voice of God to Abraham, and he said, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, Abraham, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth. In God's redemption of the Gentiles, we are seeing the promise of Abraham being fulfilled. All the peoples of the earth are being blessed through the line of Abraham. The blood of Jesus changes everything. Those who were far from God have been brought near to God. And so church, we need to remember our backstory, right? And not only our personal backstory, but the backstory of all of those who were without hope, without a savior, without a covenant, without a promise from God. We were lost, we were helpless. But now, in Christ Jesus, we have been brought near. That's our backstory. Well, how, do, how did all of this happen? That, that takes us then to the, the next phase of our process, if you will, right? We move from the backstory to the makeover. That's the big deal in the show, right? The makeover. In the extreme makeover show, you always see the, the progress of the makeover as the house is transformed. Everybody comes together. They create this beautiful new house. There are lots of people involved in this party. 
But with the gospel makeover, when we experience the gospel makeover, there is only one party responsible for the transformation, and that's God. Let's read about what God does in this makeover. Verses 14 through 18 in our text, Ephesians 2. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And so now Paul focuses on this new idea of peace. Through Jesus, we now can have peace with God and peace with others. And here in the text, Paul uses two powerful descriptions to explain to us what God has done. First, Paul says, God made us both one. The two groups were at odds with one another. Jews, Gentiles, the circumcised, the uncircumcised, and they've now been brought together. They are no longer two, but they are one. Remember a great movie from, I think it was probably 20 years ago or so, Denzel Washington. A movie called Remember the Titans. It's a football movie. I love football, so I was drawn to that movie. But the movie's about a football team that becomes integrated with both white and black football players. And even though they're on the same team, initially there's just a lot of division on the team because of the racial differences, because of the cultural differences, because of what was going on in the world. However, there's a, a moment in that movie where it is no longer the white players and the black players. Instead, they all become titans. Remember the titans. And they become one. And so, Paul says that there are no longer Jews. There are no longer Gentiles. And still, instead, there's now one. Christians. The church. Those who follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. They are both made one. And then the second description Paul uses of this process is he says God has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. The wall of division and hostility that existed between Jews and Gentiles has been torn down by the power of the gospel. And friends, the power of the gospel is designed to break down any wall. All those in Jesus are called to be one. As I look across this auditorium, this is not a huge group, 125 of us or so, but we're all different, aren't we? Different backgrounds, different cultures, different ethnicities, different ages, different experiences. We're so different. 
And there's so much opportunity for that us versus them mentality. And yet, we are one in Christ Jesus. Concerning the, the Jews and Gentiles, Paul says in verse 15 that Jesus took care of the law, the commands, the ordinances, the regulations, so that those no longer had to be barriers. And he said that, that Jesus created in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. Isn't that a, an amazing picture there? In one man, in Christ himself, he makes us one. Making peace. Paul goes on to further to describe how this wonderful miracle works. He says in verse 15 or 16 that he did this so that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. That word reconcile, that's a, a financial term, balancing the books. And so through Christ, our Books are balanced and everything works out just right. Just right. And it's not because we're just right, but it's because Christ is just right. And he brings us into the one body. The one body, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ. And it's done through the cross. It's not done through our efforts. It's not because you and I are such great folk. In other words, just like those Gentiles, Paul says to us, to Garden Way Church, y'all were a mess. When I say y'all, I'm a part of that, right? We all were a mess. But Jesus brings us in himself. What does he say? In one new man, in place of the two, so making peace. And then... Uh, what does he say? Thereby killing, killing the hostility. Is there hostility in our world today? You ever experienced that? It's all around us, isn't it? And we think, what's the world coming to? What's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. People don't know Jesus. They don't know Jesus. And so they're full of hostility. Hostility between one another. Hostility with God. Hostility. And we look at, oh, what can we do? Maybe we need to make some more laws. Let's make that bad behavior illegal. Let's take care of that. Let's cancel that. Let's do that. Let's figure this out. And we look for all the ways that we can to figure out how to get rid of the hostility. But the only thing that gets rid of the hostility is the blood of Jesus. That's the only thing that kills the hostility. Paul says in verse 17 that Jesus came and preached peace. He preached peace, not hostility, but peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Far and near, we all need Jesus. I know some of your stories, and I know that some of you are far away from God at some point in your life. And somehow, through the miracle of God's Holy Spirit working, you have been brought near. I know others of you, you've grown up just knowing Jesus a sweet heritage that's been passed down to you through generations. What a blessing that is. And so you're at peace, near and far, brought together in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 18, again, through Jesus, we both, 
those who are far, those who are near, Jews, Gentiles, all of us, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Do you see all the ones here? One man, one body, one peace, one spirit bringing us together. There's a lot of unity, a lot of unity in this passage. All of us have access to God the Father in the Holy Spirit through the work of Jesus. That is the amazing truth of God's gospel plan. Church, all of us are free in Jesus and all of us are one in Jesus when he becomes our Lord and Savior. And so there should be no division in Jesus Christ. We are one. It doesn't matter what our ethnicity is, we are one. It doesn't matter what our political leanings are, Democrat, Republican, Independent, whatever label you like, we are one in Christ if we are Christ followers. Ducks and beavers, we're one in Christ. Vegans, meat eaters, we're one in Christ. Lower class, middle class, upper class, no class, we're all one in Christ. Educated, uneducated, all one in Christ. White collar, blue collar, no collar at all. We're one in Christ. Former missionaries, former mobsters. When you come to Jesus, you're one in Christ. We are all not just forgiven, but we are unified in Christ. There is power in Jesus, power in the gospel. This is the extreme makeover gospel edition. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. That is the makeover that Jesus does in our hearts when we respond to the gospel. Well, finally, the best part of those renovation shows, we've had the backstory. We've had the makeover, but what happens last? You know what it is, right? The reveal, right? They open the front door and they're, oh, I can't believe it. How awesome. The reveal is the moment when you see the culmination of all the hard work that was done, when you see the result. Well, let, let's look at the result of Christ's work through the gospel. What's the result? That's verses 19 through 22. So then, there's Paul's summation. Here's the result. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Wow. So because of the work of Jesus, the Ephesians, who were primarily Gentiles, they were foreigners, strangers, uncircumcised. What does Paul say? They are now fellow citizens with the saints that means they have all the same rights, same responsibilities. And the members of God's household, how awesome is that? By the way, is it important to be a member of Christ's church? Absolutely it is. You see, Jesus changes everything. We are one in Jesus. And then 
Paul shifts his metaphor and he starts to use these building terms. He probably knew that I was going to use this extreme makeover kind of illustration, right? Probably not, but that's all right. He, he begins to use these building metaphors. Paul says that this household is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. All of God's messengers were preparing a foundation for this moment. It is the word of God. They were building something that could bear the weight of the miracle that God was going to do by bringing all types of people together in Jesus. All of the promises of Abraham would stand tall on this foundation. And what is the most important ingredient in the building? Well, it's the cornerstone. And who is that? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. There's nothing more important. Paul says in verse 20, Christ, Jesus himself, being the cornerstone. Jesus holds up the entire building. He's the foreman of the crew. He is the cornerstone. He is the capstone. He's the main cross beam. He's the extended, all-inclusive warranty. He's the security system of the building of God's one new people. He is in all and through all and in all. And it's all about him. And so friends, when we come together as the household of faith, it's not about you and me and my ideas and my opinions and your opinions. It's about Jesus and his word and his plan and his purpose. Not about you. Not about me because we're one new people. And then Paul tells us what kind of building this is. What, what, what is this building? In verse 21, it says, we are a holy temple in the Lord. Now, in the Old Testament, the temple is often referred to as the house of God. The house of God. The dwelling place of God was actually in a physical temple. All right? The Shekinah glory of God and the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies and all that. It, it's in a place, right? And they could go to that place. But now, it's different, isn't it? Now, Jesus is building a new holy temple. And that holy temple is the people of God. It's you and it's me. It's these Ephesians from 2,000 years ago. And it's all the Christians who will follow after us. In verse 22, Paul says that in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. Brick by brick in Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, we the people, we the church, are the dwelling place of God. It's not a building. It's not a place but it is a people redeemed and united by the work of Jesus. Again, what a miracle. We are brought together as, a, as fellow citizens, as members of God's household, and God wonderfully reveals his beautiful work accomplished in Christ. This beautiful house, bright and shiny and new, God does that. And he does it with us. All of these unlikely characters that I'm looking at here. All these unlikely characters that Paul was writing to in the, in the church in Ephesus. 
all of the diversity, all of the differences, all everything. What a mess. What a mess. And God brings it all together through Christ Jesus. And he presents it as this beautiful, completed house. Brick by brick, piece by piece, he's placing us into it. We are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's the extreme makeover gospel edition. This is the extreme transformation that Jesus brings when we respond to his gospel message. In, in, the, in the book of Ephesians, Paul is telling us who Jesus is, what God has done through him, and how the church is impacted by what Jesus has done. And so in this passage, we see that Jesus redeems all types of people. Doesn't matter our background. Doesn't matter who we were. It matters who we're becoming when we respond to what Jesus wants to do in our life. All types of people, and he builds us up for his glory. So that takes us to our bottom line, and here's our bottom line. God is beautifully building us up for his glory and our good. Let's say that together. God is beautifully building us up for his glory and for our good. Isn't that a great thought? The message throughout the book of Ephesians is that God has a great plan to redeem, buy back sinners from sin, adopt them as his own children, and build them into this beautiful church. And he's doing all of that to bring glory to himself and to shape us into who he intends us to be. Jew, Gentile, or whatever else we are, we are now one in Christ, a new creation called the church of Jesus Christ. Friends, we must understand this reality. We must understand this extreme makeover. So, in the closing moments here, I want to challenge you. Two challenges, all right? I want you to think about challenging yourself in two ways this week. Number one, number one, thank Jesus for bringing you near. There, there is nothing better that you can do than to thank Jesus for bringing you near. You can focus on all of your weaknesses and all of the shortcomings and all the hardships of life. You can dwell on those all week long. Or you can spend some time this week just really focused on thanking Jesus for bringing you near. Bringing you near. Remember back to verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you once who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. If that's true for you, then there is no better truth to dwell on this week. We who were far away from God have been brought near. We who were dead are now alive. We who were alienated are now adopted. There was a wall of hostility. And now we're brought near. When we trust in Christ and we are one people united as the church. So spend some time this week thanking Jesus for his work in your life. That's challenge number one. And then the second challenge is this. Bring others near to Jesus. If you've been brought near, the next step is to bring others near. 
it is not right. It is selfish of you to hold on to this wonderful truth of nearness to God and not share it with other people. The fact that Jesus is still all about tearing down walls, the fact that God is still about bringing children into his family, the fact that the Spirit is still about displaying his power in people's lives begs us to bring others near to Jesus. Bring others near to Jesus. Show them. Show them his love. Show them the change that's come over you. Live out the differences that Jesus makes in your life, and then talk about it. Proclaim his message. You don't have to be a religious zealot. All you have to do is share the truth of what Jesus has done in your life. You don't have to memorize 75 verses. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. All you have to know is this simple truth. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Jesus brought me near. That's what you can share with people. Are you a part of the holy temple that God is building through his church? Each little brick in God's building represents one of his followers. Are you a part of the building? Are you participating in making that temple holy? If you need to recommit yourself to, to, to being a holy, pursuing holiness in your life and bringing about unification in the holy temple of, of God, then I want to invite you to do that this morning. You can do that between you and the Lord. Or if you've never brought, been brought near, maybe this, this message is, is uh, familiar to you, but you have never fully taken that step of faith. See, it's through faith. If Jesus is not Lord of all your life, then he's not Lord at all. And so if you've not experienced the new birth, been united with Jesus through baptism, the death and the burial and the resurrection, what a beautiful picture of what Jesus has done for us to bring us near. If that's not happened in your life, then it needs to happen. Our elders are going to be this morning, back there in the corner, under the prayer corner, Randy's already there. Others will be there. It will be their great privilege and honor to pray with and for you, to help you take those next steps, whatever they might be in your life. Let's pray together.